So I'll ask you to go ahead and turn with me to a tiny little book in the New Testament, uh, the book of 1 John. Uh, we're going to work our way through um, these letters of John, uh, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Uh, but we're starting a logical order, I guess. We're starting with, uh, with 1 John. And some great challenges for us. I'll just give you a moment to, uh, to turn there because it is such a, a, a tiny book. If you, uh, if you know anything about the order of the Bible, or if you look, I guess, in the front of your Bible to get that, it's uh, kind of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, and Revelation. So some of you may need to kind of start in the back and work your way um, back a little bit. Uh, but it's just a tiny book. Now, uh, I do apologize that we've, we've gone from a tiny book to a tiny book. We're not trying to uh, pick out these little um, obscure ones that are hard to find for you. But we went from a tiny book of, of Amos in the Old Testament, uh, which a lot of you know where he is now, and that's a good thing. Uh, you've gotten used to finding that one. And then now we're uh, in this tiny little book in the New Testament. Uh, but there's some great significance for us as a church in this tiny little letter. And so we want to work our way through that uh, together. I'm not going to read for you all of um, the passage for today, which we're looking really at 1 John 1, uh, 1 in the beginning here, uh, up to chapter 2, verse 14. But I do challenge you to read through uh, this tiny little letter of, uh, of 1 John. Uh, this week. It's only the five uh, little chapters. And um, I think sometimes the Bible can be a bit misleading. So, or the way we present it can be misleading in that sometimes we're, we're used to these big chapter books uh, that you go, oh, you know, this chapter is 35 pages, this chapter is 20 pages, whatever that is. So sometimes if we say, can you please read these five chapters this week? You think, are you trying to kill me? Five chapters? That's a lot of reading. Um, I remember when each of our kids got up to reading chapter books. They're so exciting because they're reading, you know, like chapters, a whole chapter. And, and, and they'll go, wow, I've read like 20 chapters now. And each chapter is like, you know, a page long or, or two pages. But they're so excited because they're reading different chapters now and they're really progressing. And sometimes I think in the Bible we, we kind of go backwards. We're, we're going, oh, I don't want to read whole chapters. Um, but, but chapters in this book, in this little book, are all small, okay? So five chapters... Uh, is only, well, depending on your, your Bible and the, the size of your font, it's only a few pages. So mine's uh, a whole four and a, a, a bit pages. Uh, yours may be five, it may be six, it may be three, uh, depending on how big your font is. But it's only a small reading, but some great challenges for us as a church. So take some time this week and uh, read through the book of 1 John. At least read through the first couple chapters, because I'm only going to highlight just the first uh, few verses in the reading for today. And then we'll work our way through the rest. So look with me in 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, I'll just read verses 1 to 4 to start us off. 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it and testified uh, sorry, and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the precious gift of your word. We pray, Lord, that you guide us through it now. Teach us your love. Teach us your grace. 
and the mercy which is available to any who will trust in you. Be glorified, God, through this all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I don't know how many of you receive letters anymore. Uh, we often, it seems like if, you, if you're still one of those who's excited about the letter you're going to receive, then you're probably someone who, who's often disappointed because at least if your letterbox is, is very much like ours, the only thing that comes to our letterbox is junk mail or bills. And we even get other people's bills. We get the, the people who lived there before us's bills. They obviously didn't want them and they keep leaving them for us. And they just keep coming in. And sometimes we get our junk mail and then we get people who lived there before us's junk mail. And um, one of our kids said to us yesterday, we're just outside playing some handball. And um, I was joking, I was singing uh, a little kids song uh, with Nevaeh saying we just got a letter now if you know that song uh, just goes we just got a letter and he's so excited about getting a letter wonder who it's from and she said that song is so old no one gets letters anymore yeah <laughs> she said oh we get junk mail and I thought that's so true but I remember a day because I'm old to my kids at least um, I remember a day when which you used to get letters and if you got a letter from someone there's a personal letter you couldn't wait to read it, could you? Because it was an update about how that person's doing. Or uh, maybe, maybe you're one of those people who you wrote love letters to that special someone. And you couldn't wait to, to open that love letter or that letter to see how, the, how they were doing during that day. Because this is a day before the internet. There's, there's no email. There's no text messages. There were no mobile phones. And the, the only way to find out, especially in a distance, distant relationship... The only way to find out how the person was doing was to get that letter from them. And so you read how they were doing and uh, maybe if they were thinking of you and um, that they, they love you. These expressions from the heart were written in words personally by people. And there was great significance in that. Now, a lot of times we, we, we're not used to getting letters in the mail now. And so maybe if you get that personal letter, you're even more excited because... Something, someone has taken the time to write down how they feel uh, in that special sort of correspondence. Well, in John's day, in which he's writing these letters, letters were significant. There wasn't a lot of... Uh, there wasn't an Australian post or anything back there. There wasn't uh, uh, a lot of correspondence through letters. But when people got a letter, they knew, hold on, this is important. This is significant. Someone has taken the time to write down what they really feel and, and how they really, what they really mean and put this in a letter to me. And so the people who are reading this first letter from John, and he's written these three in a row, he's written these personal letters to people to kind of say, hold on, this is important. And so the, the original readers of this letter would have really recognized, hold on, these words are important, these words are significant, and we need to listen. And so we sometimes miss that. When we, uh, when we just kind of read through the letter because we're just going, you know, it's just another book in the Bible. Um, and so sometimes we don't realize that this was a significant uh, individual letter to a group of people. And so uh, John's readers would have taken this of, of great significance. Now, the writer here, uh, John, who is an apostle of Jesus Christ, one of his disciples... Uh, wrote this along with, he wrote the Gospel of John and these three letters and, uh, and then Revelation as well. 
And um, he wrote this probably between 90 and 95 AD, so in the time of the early church and in the days just after Jesus had walked on earth as a man. This is someone who was not only a follower of Jesus Christ, he was a friend of Jesus. In fact, John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so he had a good relationship with Jesus. He had walked with him, talked with him. And he writes this letter because there was a growing problem in the area. Now, this problem was called Gnosticism, which um, it's a big word, isn't it? It sounds, sounds really important, but I don't want to just throw out random words for you. We'll try to explain that a little bit. Gnostics, or the, the idea of Gnosticism, was the idea, uh, it, it comes from the Greek word Gnosis, which is uh, to know or knowledge. And it's the idea that, that God, God would never want to really have a relationship with us. God, in the Gnostics' view, God was, was transcendent. He was kind of above all and was beyond our reach. So you could never really have a relationship with God. The best you could do is try to know as much about God as you can. In fact, they even started different teachings saying that, you know what, God is too great and too high and too kind of outside of life. And so God created separate little gods that maybe we can get to know them. And one of those was the creator of the universe, this kind of little god that God created. And the Gnostics actually come up with their whole different set of teachings so that you follow the Bible and you follow these different teachings of the Gnostics to try to get to know as much about God as you can because knowledge is power. And it was all about knowledge of, of who God is and trying to know God. And this was a growing problem in the early church. Now, it's, it's believed that Gnosticism actually predated Christ, that it was around before Jesus Christ came in, uh, this quest to kind of know God more. And uh, there's already, even in this early church, kind of these self-help books about how to know God and how to know Him more, which is outside of the Bible. And people are no longer following who Jesus is um, in, in John's time here. But Gnosticism had kind of spread into the church so much that there was this kind of quest to know about God without ever rec really recognizing that God would have ever come to earth. And so they, didn't, they denied the fact that Jesus is God's Son or that Jesus is God in flesh. And yet John here, who knew Jesus, he walked with him and he talked with him. He's one of the disciples who was sitting at that last Passover meal that we just talked about. John says, hold on, I've got to, I've got to let you know that Jesus is the real deal. Jesus is God in flesh, and he paid the price so that you could have life, eternal life. You can never get to know God enough to be in right fellowship with him. Your sin separates you from God for all of eternity, except for through Jesus Christ. He paid the price for you. And so John writes this letter, 1 John. It's all about kind of deflating Gnosticism, if that makes sense, okay? He's, he's taking this idea that you can, knowledge is the way to go, that Jesus isn't real, Jesus was alive, but he wasn't really God's son. He's taking all these ideas and he's just kind of uh, picked, uh, pricked them with a pin and deflated that. And he says, hey, I was there. I walked with him. I talked with him. I've seen his miracles. I know this man. He was real. Sorry, he was real historically. And he paid the price for our sins. 
And so there's a few things in these early verses that um, we're just going to kind of walk through. And now I'll challenge you to go home and read through this first chapter, or these first couple chapters uh, for yourself to kind of um, get the, the fuller picture of what John is trying to say in these early uh, pictures. He begins by saying in verse 1 to 4, which I read for you, that um, he begins by saying who he, like recognizing that uh, this is a, a letter from, from him as the, uh, as the apostle and, um, and explaining who Jesus really is. He says, this is what I want to write to you concerning the word of life in verse 1. Now, he doesn't begin this like any other letter in the New Testament, um, other than the Hebrews, really. It's written without the kind of salutations. Usually it says, greetings on behalf of our Lord Jesus Christ from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth, or um, you know, greetings from, from John. And in fact, uh, John, 1 and, uh, sorry, John 2 and John 3 each say who they're from. Uh, at least he calls himself the elder, and uh, who they're to as personal letters. This, this letter is not like that, but he gives, jumps straight into uh, why he's trying to write the letter. And he, he mentions this word, word, uh, word of life, in the end of verse 1. And the word word there is, uh, in the Greek, is logos, which is the first, uh, it's, it's a word that he used also in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, verse 1, uh, where he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So very, from the very beginning of this letter, he's actually significantly speaking to his, uh, his readers. And he's saying, from the very beginning, I'm going to tell you about this God who was, from the very beginning, he has always been, but not only that, but the one who came in flesh in Jesus Christ. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Because in John 1, uh, in Gospel of John chapter 1, he goes on and says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The uh, early church were very familiar with the writings of the apostles, and they knew that gospel. And so he writes them in this letter to say, I'm talking to you about that God who was made flesh in Jesus Christ. And that the way to God, the way to God is not about knowledge. It's not about how much you know. It's about a relationship with God that, that is available through Jesus Christ. He says... Um, John is, John is writing with, with authority here and as a personal friend of Jesus, as an apostle of Jesus. And um, he's saying, you know, if you want to know Jesus, this is the person to talk to. He's the one who, who walked with him and talked with him. And he says, he is the one who has given us life. You can have fellowship. Uh, our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And uh, we write this letter to make our joy complete. We want to share with you the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so in verse 5 to 10, he goes into this section where he talks about that Jesus is the light of our salvation. Verse 5 says, This is the message we've heard from him, and we declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie, and we do not live by the truth. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all our sin. If 
we claim to be without sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all our unrighteousness. If we claim that we've not sinned, then we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in us. Now, this is interesting because he's taking this idea to, about knowing God and he's saying, look, if you go around saying that you know God and you're on this quest to know him more and yet you're living in darkness, then you don't know God. You don't have that relationship with God. You're only fooling yourselves. It's only if we walk in, in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him. He says God is light and he dispels the sin. He dispels the darkness. And darkness and light can't be in the same place at the same time. Um, if, if the lights are on, then it's not dark in here. If it's dark in here, the lights aren't on. Does that make sense? I'm trying to be pretty simple here. So if, if you flip the switch and the light pops on, all of a sudden the room's not dark anymore. Amazing, isn't it? Now, I'm not the smartest individual in the world, and so I'm just amazed. I don't know how any of this technology stuff works, especially Internet and all that. I don't even know how the light switches really work. I've studied some electricity. I know the current goes through, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't, make any, it doesn't make, I mean it makes any sense, does it? We know it works, and, and, and we, know, we just know if we walk in, we turn the light on, it should light up the room, right? And all of a sudden, the darkness is gone. Those of you who have had little kids, you may remember trying to walk around the house in the dark with their toys and stuff around the floor and stepping on little uh, pieces and little toys and little books or whatever that might be and stumbling around in the darkness. And how great it is in the daytime when you're trying to go around the same place because you can avoid the toys and you can avoid the books. Now, Maybe your house is one of those that's just everything's neat and perfect all the time. That's not my house, okay? So I'm talking about our house and our experience. If you try to walk around our house in the dark, especially through like the toy room, before we cleaned it out especially, it's a danger zone. You're, you're crazy to try to go through there. And you're all the time going, oh, ah, oh, stumbling and, and, and knocking into things because you just can't see, because you're walking around in the dark. Now... John here uses this kind of laughable matter about walking around in the dark and stumbling. He's talking to people. They're, they're not in kind of our modern technology sort of generation. These are people that unless they had the candle there to light the path, and as the candle went, it could only light the path just kind of right in front of them. Unless they had that light, they couldn't go out at night. They, they would stumble and trip on rocks and things in the path it was dangerous because they couldn't see the wild animals that were around because it was dark. And yet here he says, look, if you're saying, hey, I know God, and you're saying, I'm in right relationship with God because of how much I know, and yet you're still just stumbling around in the darkness, you're only fooling yourselves. You don't have God in your life. You don't have a relationship with God. In fact, you can't obtain it by getting to know him in, <coughs> excuse me, by knowing all about him. God is light. And to know him is to know light. And for that sin to be exposed and, and, and to be living in, in freedom, to be living free of those barriers and, and obstacles, you can avoid those things because the light lights your path. 
And God does that as we have that relationship, but that's only through the blood of Jesus. Verse 7 says, It is Jesus Christ who purifies us from all sin as we choose to walk with Him. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. As we choose Him and what He has done for us, He gives us light. He gives us hope. He gives us the freedom to be able to go through life free of those obstacles and those barriers and those dangers. Not because they're not around, but because we are aware of them because of the light that comes from God. We all sin and we all need a Savior. And one of the teachings of these early Gnostics or this Gnosticism is that they, as I said, they could just know enough about God that they might move closer to Him and then could hopefully get to where they are without sin. But John here writes and says, hey, we are all sinners. We all sin and come short of God's glory. None of us are righteous. We have all sinned. And we all need Jesus Christ. We all need that salvation. Because to be in in fellowship with God just by getting to know Him is out of the question. There's no amount of good we could do, no amount of knowledge we can attain that could bring us into right fellowship with God because sin has eternally separated us from God. We need a Savior. And that is through Jesus Christ. John takes great effort to kind of say, this light can only be obtained through Jesus Christ. God's Son, God in flesh, God in all of His power came as a man to show us Love, to show us grace, to show us mercy, and to die on the cross to pay the price for our sin so that any who trust in Him can have life. And he begins in chapter 2 to say, we belong to God not through knowledge, not by how much we know about Him, but through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Verses uh, 1 to, to 14, I just want to highlight a couple things for you. First of all, it's that it says Jesus Christ, or God in flesh, has paid the price for us. Look with me in chapter 2, verse 1. It says, My dear children, I write to you, or sorry, I write this letter to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the entire world. That's a great passage. Why? Because, first of all, he's again saying Jesus Christ is God's Son. This is God in flesh who came. You keep trying to teach that He, he, he was never around, but He says not only historically was He here, and I walk with Him and talk with Him, this is not just any man, this is God in flesh who's come to pay the price for us. And then he says, He is the atoning sacrifice for all sins. Now, this goes back to the Old Testament practice of every year the the priest will give a sacrifice for the sins of the community, all the sins, the sins of all the people in the area. And this blood sacrifice would kind of cover over the sins of the people so they could be in right fellowship with God. But John here says, Jesus is God. He's the one perfect one, the the perfect lamb. 
without spot or blemish. Never has he sinned. And he has come himself, the one righteous one, the one holy one, the one perfect one. He has paid the price, not only for our sins, but for the sins of all mankind, once and for all. That price has been paid. So that we no longer require any sort of blood sacrifices like that. We don't require those sort of payments. Uh, Christ has paid all of that for us. He is that atoning sacrifice that brings us into fellowship with God. And anyone can be restored to God through Christ. It says, not only good people, not only people who know a lot about God, but anyone, even who has that childlike faith, can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He says, anyone, like we've all sinned, and anyone who does sin, we have Jesus Christ who speaks on our behalf, the righteous one who has paid the price for us so we can have a relationship with Christ. Anyone can be restored to God through Christ. And if we are with God through Christ, that will show. Verse um, Verse 7 to, um, 7 to 11 is saying this. Dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one, uh, which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message that you've heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is al- already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. And whoever loves his brother is in the light, and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. Again, he's going back to this whole passage of, of darkness and light and saying, look, if you say you know God and yet you hate your brother, then you're lying and the truth is not in you. To know God is to know love. And that sort of love, that sort of love changes our life. That sort of love changes our heart. And if you really experience that relationship with God that's available to you through Jesus Christ, then you're going to love others. That love is going to come out into our relationship with our family, into our relationship with our neighbor, into our relationship with our coworker. The sort of relationship you can have with God by just knowing about Him is nowhere near enough. But if you want a sort of relationship with God, if you really want to, to have fellowship with Him, then that has to happen through that relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the sort of love that, that is not just a, a thing we do. It's not just a box we tick. It's not just another thing we study for a test like Gnosticism would believe. But this sort of love is a love that actually allows God to change our heart. We actually connect in with Him. We have a relationship with God every day. We can walk with Him and talk with Him. We share in His love. We receive His love. We receive His grace. We receive His mercy. And that sort of life-changing love should shine out through our life. And so, verses 9 to uh, 11, is talking about that, saying anyone who is in God through Christ, that sort of light is going to shine. That sort of love is going to shine out into our relationship with others. Paul uses a similar analogy a similar idea in uh, his many of his letters to say that you know they'll, they'll know we are christians by our love or you can see the fruit of the spirit those who claim to be in christ but they're not living out god's love then god is not in them christ is not part of their life they've never surrendered their life 
to God. Even as far back as this early church, a few years after Christ was walking on earth, people doubted whether or not he was God's son. People doubted whether or not he even existed. And they started looking for other ways to have a relationship with God. John here, who knew Jesus and walked with him and talked with him, says the relationship with God can only happen through Jesus Christ. He has paid the price for us. But that is available to any who will trust and any who will believe. And it ends in verses 7 to 14 by saying, if we are with God through Christ, that will will show, not only in the way we love, but in the way we live. We should live no longer as people who are bound by the laws, but people who are free from that. We should live no longer as people who are stumbling in the darkness, but as people who have seen that great light and have experienced that light and lights our way for all of eternity. We should live no longer as people on a constant quest to have to know more, to have to receive more of God, on that quest to kind of know Him and, and, and maybe get into a relationship with Him. We, we're not in a relationship with a distant, transcendent God who's kind of above all and beyond all. We have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so He challenges us, in, uh, especially in verses 12 to 14, to live like it. Allow that to show to others. Allow them to show that we have a relationship with God, the God of all the universe, the creator of all the universe, the one true God, the only God. We have that relationship with him, so let that show. And so he talks to uh, the fathers and he talks to the young men and he talks to, um, to others in the community and says, live like you have that relationship. You are free because God has set you free. The people were teaching these Gnostic views everywhere. It was spreading like wildfire. And the people were still, although they knew these teachings of, of Gnosticism, they knew they were to be on this, they thought they were to be on this quest to know God more. They were still caught in, in legalism and they were caught in darkness. They're always trying to read the next book. They're always trying to somehow obtain another level of getting to know God. And John. John encourages them, hey, you're free from all that. You're free from those regulations. You're free from that law. You're free from having to try to do more to get to know God because Christ Jesus himself, God in flesh, has paid the price for you. So now just live as people who are free. Now you just have to live like you are free because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. The gospel message is simple. We, even today, we, we try to overcomplicate it. We try to say, oh, if you get your life right with God and, and if you, you turn from all your ways, you try to do these things, then maybe you can have a relationship with God. Now, God says, we have all sinned and we've all come short of God's glory. And for that sin, we deserve to be separated from God. But Jesus Christ, God's Son, has paid the price for us. And so all we have to do is trust in Him, believe in Him, and we can have life. We can be free from all of that. It's not because of what we do. It's not because of how much we know. It's because God is a gracious and loving God who knows our sin, and yet He forgives us, and He restores us for any who trust in Him. I want to encourage you to take time to um, read through this book of 1 John. Some good challenges for us as a church to recognize who Jesus is as God's Son God in flesh who's come to pay the price for us and to encourage us as a church to live like we are free, 
to live that out and to allow God's love not only to change us, so not only to where we, we get to know Him, but that love to change us and that love to transform us in our, our marriages and our family and our community and just around the world. We, in order to be the church God wants us to be, we have to live like we are free. We have to recognize who God is, who Jesus is, and what He has done for us. 1 John is really about living the, the real life that God wants for us, an abundant life that is available to us because of what Christ has paid on the cross. He has paid for that freedom. He has bought our salvation. And all we have to do is accept that and then to, uh, to rejoice in the love and the mercy that He gives to us to live that love and mercy out in our relationship with others. Let's just pray. Dear Heavenly God, I thank You and I praise You for Your Son, Jesus Christ, for the love and the grace that You've given to us through Him. Thank You, Lord, that there's nothing we could have done which could have made us into a right relationship with You. Lord, I, I thank You that You recognized our need for a Savior and You gave, us to, gave it to us through Jesus Christ. Thank You, Lord, for the cross. Thank You, Lord, for Your amazing grace and that You know us completely and yet You still love us completely and You've made a way for any and all who will accept You to have life and to have freedom. Help us, Lord, to live like people who are free, no longer bound by, by the, the, the law uh, of religion, no longer bound by what we must know, but forever changed by our relationship with You through Jesus Christ. Lord, Jesus has paid the price for us. Thank you, God, for that gift of salvation. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace. Help us, Lord, to celebrate that now as your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.